1: Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at NerdWallet.com. Reminder, credit is subject to lender approval and term supply. NerdWallet. Finance smarter.
2: The best conversations I have with my colleagues are the ones that happen when no one is looking, when we're not 100% sure yet what to write.
0: Hopefully, having conversations like this can help you figure out your own point of view.
3: That's kind of our job as Washington Post opinions columnists. I'm Charles Lane, deputy opinion editor.
2: And I'm Amanda Ripley, a contributing columnist. We're going to bring you into these conversations on a new podcast called Impromptu.
3: Follow Impromptu now, wherever you listen. Next Question with Katie Couric is a production of iHeartRadio and Katie Couric Media.
1: Hi, everyone. I'm Katie Couric, and welcome to Next Question. I don't know about you, but it's sometimes hard to stay positive in the world we're living in right now. So much suffering, so much rancor, so much hate. Then there's all that social media that gives you a serious case of FOMO. As Teddy Roosevelt once said, comparison is the thief of joy.
4: I'm sorry if I seem impatient. I'm not a fan of pleasantries. See I get bored with the weather and what's in the news. The topics we all Studies
1: show the average person has about 12,000 to 60,000 thoughts per day and that 80% of those thoughts are negative and 95% of the thoughts are repetitive. That adds up to a lot of ruminating about a lot of bad stuff. So next question, how do you stay positive in today's world? In my opinion,
3: the happy guy or the happy girl is like way more three dimensional than just like happy. Like it's a fight, it's a war. There's a lot of things you can do to try and stay positive.
1: You're about to meet a very happy guy with some uplifting, insightful advice, and you can even dance to it.
3: Could it be alive, right about now. <laughs>
1: Multi-platinum pop singer and songwriter, Andy Grammer's work reads like a playlist for positivity. His platinum singles include hits like Keep Your Head Up, which I love. Oh, thank you. Good to Be Alive, and the ridiculously catchy song that became an anthem for monogamy, Honey, I'm Good. He's also got a popular positive podcast called The Good Parts, and he also has a new album out called Naive. And so, Andy, I'm so happy to see you because I could use a little positivity oh, man. in my life.
3: I love you. Thank <laughs> you so much for having me here.
1: Your whole story is so interesting. But before we kind of dive into your life, you sometimes have to defend your positive attitude, don't you? I mean, you have to make sure people understand that it's cool to be happy.
3: I feel like I, I smile quite a bit and I have just in the world I've kind of came in always like looking for the good.
1: My late husband used to say I was hardwired for happiness. And I it sounds feel like me that's me and him are
3: this are or the same. Or you zone. and I are the yeah, same. Exactly. Right? Every once in a while, what you will get back from the world if you are this type of person is that you don't know what you're talking about. Like, can't you see how crappy the world is? Like, why are you smiling so much? You must not know. So you kind of get put off into this corner of like, Oh, you're like cute. You know, you're so sweet. Andy comes by, like smiles. If
1: you're happy, you must be stupid. You must be stupid. Yeah,
3: because you you don't know what's going on.
1: And so what do you say to people who have that attitude?
3: It's almost like a rebellious way of being like, call me whatever you want. This is how I live. This is how I am. And I'm making it for people like me.
1: And there's much more to me than a smile on my face because I guess a lot of people think you have to be dark and moody to be interesting.
3: Totally, yes.
1: And you want to prove otherwise.
3: Yeah, hopefully there's, there's people that can see that that's not always the case. And everybody has all these sides to them, right? Like I have dark and moody... In my life but usually that dark and moody is trying to get me to somewhere that is worthwhile where i can grow where the world is worth it where i want to show up and be a part of this thing rather than just be uh dismal about it
1: let's talk about sort of how you came into the world with a smile on your face
3: yeah i was born in los angeles and then my dad is a children's singer so i got some of my good vibes from him and my mom they both wrote these children's songs together so they were following him around so they moved to nashville and they moved to New York, and that's where I grew up. I grew up here
1: in Upstate New upstate, York. Upstate,
3: yeah, about an hour north of here, a place called Monroe, Woodbury.
1: And so you were surrounded by music all your life when you were a very little kid. And we have a clip of your dad singing "Barnyard Boogie." He's
2: a singing, swinging rooster. He loves to improvise.
4: He's the kind of clucker who was born to harmonize. And every day at dawn, dawn as the, the sun begins, begins to, rise. to rise, you, you can, can hear him do the barnyard boogie.
1: boogie. And then my dad was like. Barrr.
3: Smash! Smash!
1: (laughs) So, where did he sing that? Was this just a children's record, or was yeah? But I mean,
3: he took it really seriously. He was incredible. He was my dad's Grammy-nominated children's singer. So this was like his job. He'd travel all around the country and around the world singing to kids.
1: And your mom too was musical. My mom as well, yeah. So this came to you naturally, kind of genetically predisposed to be a great musician.
3: The older that I get, the more I realize how lucky if you want to be a songwriter to grow up in a house with two songwriters writing songs all the time is pretty lucky.
1: I bet. And you started writing songs yourself when you were 15 years old.
3: Yeah. Started just taking stabs at it. It was never really pushed on me.
1: Do you remember the first song you ever wrote?
3: Yeah. I think it was something called like Doorstep to a Girl about like, I like you, but I'm probably not going to come past the doorstep. I'll hang outside and flirt with
1: you a little bit. You were a busking. And I have never even heard of that term. I guess it's really? more of a wet. Is that a West Coast term? I don't
3: know. I hadn't really heard of it either. So you
1: were a street performer, street in other words. Yeah. So you were doing what a lot of people do here in Central Park or in the subway waiting area. You yeah. were performing. So what kind of things were you doing? And what did that experience teach you? A lot, I understand.
3: Quite a bit because at its very fundamental level, the idea of not waiting for anyone and just going and doing it is really important in any career, especially in arts. To not wait for permission. It's like freedom of speech. You literally can't stop me. I'm allowed to just start doing what I do. So that was really important for me. So I did that for four years. And I was starting to learn what it is that I had to offer and what was working and what was not working. So
1: what kind of songs would you sing?
3: I would sing covers. I would sing my own originals and, and no one would stop. And you'd be <laughs> like, all right, well, I got to write some more. Um, and I would, you know, cover Maroon 5 and I'd cover One Republic and I'd try like Michael Jackson and all these different things to see like what's working here, I'm trying to find myself, find my sound.
1: I imagine that you encountered all Different kinds of people and a real slice of humanity.
3: You really do. And what's cool is kind of like being on tour, or staying in one spot because Santa Monica has tons of tourists come through. I was going to say, is that where yeah. you
1: were, Santa Monica? Where in? It's the... right on
3: Third Street Promenade. Uh huh. And yeah, it was like this awesome wading into the water of what it means to be an artist and how, honestly, the whole ecosystem of what an artist is, which is you put yourself out there. Some people like it. Most people don't. And if you can hang with long periods of solitude waiting while everybody's just ignoring you, then there are these moments where something catches on and now there's three people, now there's five people now there's a hundred people and you are the man for about 20 minutes
2: that must have been so it's exciting, crazy,
3: everybody wants your autograph, really? on the street, yeah they want, buy your CD, you sign this for me holy crap, this is awesome, and then they all leave, and you're back to like, okay I gotta figure out how to build this back up again
4: could not care less about your day job or ordinary
3: stress. So, in the beginning, when you're bad and you play, you would be giving me attention, not me giving you a service, right? Right. So like, you're giving to me because I'm bad. To actually make the switch to where, like, I'm doing something that is beautiful or touching your heart or making you think or, like, actually giving to you, that actually switches it to where, like, I'm giving you the service. And I for the first time with my music started to do that as a street performer and actually those four years were where it started to switch so by the time I left the street it was like cool I've a little bit figured out how to write a song that gives rather than just like ask for attention
4: show me where it hurts and give me something
1: You wrote your first song really based on your experiences as a street performer. It's called Keep Your Head Up, which is such a great, fun, upbeat, catchy song. But you were feeling kind of rejected when you wrote it. Yeah, it
3: was a day of no one putting anything in my case, which is usually I'd get there early, set up, then wait for spots. You're like there for like almost eight to 10 hours. So a full day of the world being like, no.
1: You suck. (laughs) Or we're not Uh, interested. Loud and clear.
3: No, enough of you. Um, So I packed up all my stuff And then I literally did this I looked up at the sky And I said I'm never leaving So Your move Like I'll be back For the the rest of ever Like until I go I'm here I'll be here And I'm not gonna stop showing up So you might as well just like Make something happen for me And then I went home and wrote a song
4: Gotta keep your head up And you can let your head
1: You wrote a song. It became a huge hit. Yeah, it was crazy. You put it out in the world. I mean, what was that like? Here you were busking, and suddenly you become this well-known singer-songwriter. Yeah. So what was that like?
3: Yeah, you hear it on the radio, and then you're going around different parts of the country and the world. And people start you know, see things on YouTube, of everybody covering it. And then you go to play a show, and they're all singing it. It was, uh, it was pretty spectacular.
1: Tell me the process for writing a song, because I've played the piano, and I've always wanted to be a songwriter. Yeah. You know, I just th- think it would be so fun, and I've tried a little bit. Of course. We can make it. We'll, we'll figure it out. I actually tried to write a song called If I Only Knew. My husband died of cancer, and I thought how different people would act. I actually just went to a funeral this morning of a dear friend who was killed in a car accident, and would you do anything differently if you only knew that your time was limited? Would you be more generous and loving and caring? And would you not waste a moment being mad at someone or getting in silly fights? And I just think the idea of really taking advantage of every minute to be happy and loving is a a wonderful thought. So if you want to take that idea and kind of run with it, you
3: can. So this is what I say. What songwriting is, to me at least, is you have that thought, which is a great thought. And I also
1: like If I Only Knew as a lyric.
3: Yeah. It's like a great lyric. It's a great idea. And then for anyone who's listening that's a songwriter, this is what's going to happen. You're going to write the song and it's going to be so sincere in you. It's like a perfect, pure little thing. And then in the process of taking it out of you and actually putting it out into the world, you will realize that it fell apart and crumbled into like a terrible little thing. And you'll be like, crap, it was so good in me. I know it. I really like connecting to it. I
1: was getting so encouraged until you just said that. And
3: then as you take it out, it falls apart. So the only way you can actually do it is to write it again. Then you write it again. And then you write it again. And then you write it again. And being a good songwriter is someone who gets better and better at the process of actually putting it into the world in the way that it actually feels inside you. Because that is an unbelievable art.
1: But I feel like I need someone to help me because... Maybe I'm just a lyricist and not necessarily a songwriter.
3: That's very possible. Either should be a duet. It's you and me. I think we got it. Okay. Yeah.
1: All right. Well, we'll talk we'll after the it podcast. Out. Yeah, totally. When we come back, we're going to talk about how to stay positive in this increasingly depressing world for sure. we're living in. Because I think people are feeling anxious and unhappy and depressed. And we're going to get your prescription okay. for how to flip that around. <laughs> fix
3: everything. No problem. I got you. When we come back. And he fixes the world. The
2: 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who
3: are very well-known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters—
1: Music can really change your mood so dramatically. Can oh, it I? really
3: can, yeah. I think that as a songwriter, you're just trying to find what's true about being here. For some reason, I don't know why it's harder to make the happy side of things sound cool, but if you catch it, the world really needs it and we all freak out.
4: I've been waiting on the sunset, bills on my mindset. I can't deny it, getting higher, higher than my income, incomes, breadcrumbs. I've been trying to survive. The
1: We talked about being surrounded by music as a kid and by children's singers. Having parents who sing songs from the time you're popping out of the womb must kind of make you a very happy person. But what else do you think shaped you and made you positive? Because I think we all have different thresholds of happiness. Sure. And different happiness levels.
3: I think one of the quickest ways to become happy, the the only fail-safe that I know, is to be of service to other people.
1: So suddenly,
4: with a stranger
3: which sounds weird and ridiculous. It's kind of like when you are laying on your couch and you're lethargic. What's the best thing to make you feel better is to like go for a run. And then you, what do you know? You feel better. In a world right now where everybody's got their phone in front of their face and the camera's facing back at them all day long, we're like very self right now. And I think that makes you very unhappy. And the more that you can Go outward and do something for other people. Be of service to somebody else. Figure out how what your daily life is, is being of service. That will undeniably make you happier. Every time.
1: I agree with you because I was thinking about that as I was sitting in this funeral service this morning. And I, you know, when you go to funerals, you hear such incredible things about people. And you wonder, gosh, why didn't I know this person better? Or how can I have what David Brooks calls eulogy values? How can I be the kind of person that people would say those things about. Sure. You know, when they're no longer with us. And I started thinking about when you're external facing, instead of so focused on yourself and your own problems and your own complaints and, you know, things that are usually exaggerated, and instead kind of look around and how can you help other people and make them feel better Yeah. instead of being consumed by your own. It is the
3: quickest way to, to be happier. Now, let me ask you this. You were at a funeral. So this, I have a podcast about what I think are the most interesting questions, the good parts of our story. What do you think happens when we die? This is one of the things that I like to ask.
1: I think nothing.
3: Nothing. Lights out. Game over. Yeah. What I love about this question is this, there's no right answer. It's all it's all really fun.
1: I was raised a Presbyterian. My mom was Jewish, but I, I do sort of, I think, believe more in the I agree more probably with the Jewish faith that your spirit lives on in the hearts and minds oh, of and souls else. of everyone oh, else. Cool and too, that yeah. you, you can shape other people who come after you by your presence in their lives. That's what I think. Cool,
3: cool, cool. I wish cool. I
1: believed in heaven and, you know, that I was going to be on a cloud eating Philadelphia cream cheese. Yeah. But I just don't think I do. How yeah. about you?
3: So uh, I'm a Baha'i. One of the things that I got from the Baha'i faith was— there's these writings about how we we believe that it's like the womb to this place is a good analogy. So when you're in the womb, you're growing arms and legs that you don't necessarily know why you need them. It's actually making you more uncomfortable (laughs) in there. And then when it's time, you move into this new place where you get to use these things that you were growing. Oh my God, this is awesome. And it's a much vaster, crazier, cooler place than you could ever imagine.
1: Right. Much bigger than a womb.
3: So the idea is that this place here, living in life in the world, you are supposed to grow spiritually. And then once you leave this place, that then you use all that wherever you are next.
1: So where is that? Where uh, are you next?
3: It's impossible to describe. I don't think that it's a, a cloud with cream cheese either.
1: What do you think it is? <laughs> do you think it's sort of some kind of particles? Or uh, yeah, think, who knows? What, I mean, I think my think? brain
3: literally is incapable of understanding it. But I do think that it is worth growing. It's like we're here to grow for that place. So then when you're talking about your friend's funeral, I am sad. But I am also, I do think that uh, this, this guy is in a really great place. You do? I really genuinely do. And I've had many wild experiences uh, with my mom who's passed on that just like further that. That's not something you can't prove that to anybody, but in my own personal beliefs, I think that he is in a wonderful place.
1: Tell me about your mom. You mentioned her. She died of breast cancer when you were in your 20s. And I'm curious how that affected you and how you were able to maintain this sort of upbeat positive attitude.
3: I have this song on my new album called Wish You Pain, which kind of makes sense with this, which is like, you only grow from things usually that are really, really difficult. And if I was going to be someone who runs around the world and sings songs that are trying to uplift people, that'd be pretty obnoxious if I didn't understand pain.
4: I hope your doubts come like monsters and terrorize your dreams. I hope you feel the lonely hopelessness because no one else believes. I hope you question whether you ever really had a chance at all.
3: Up until that point in my life, life was pretty easy for me. I like was good enough at sports. I was like homecoming king. It wasn't like trying. It was just like, why isn't everybody happy? Life is awesome. This is great. And then uh, at 25, I lost my mom and my whole world got completely rocked. And I was, for about a year and a half, I went from being the super gregarious guy to just like at the dinner table or the friend table, just completely quiet, silent, taking in like, oh, this is what so many people are feeling when it comes to like sadness and pain and difficulty. I really needed that to not be annoying uh, uh, and not understand I have any compassion towards how hard it can actually be. So losing her was like very grounding. And I think a song like Keep Your Head Up is saying be happy amidst how difficult this is. Most happy songs are still grounded in pain.
4: I know that it might sound strange, but I wish you pain.
1: Was your mom sick for a long time?
3: It happened really fast. They caught it late. She passed pretty soon after we found out. Again, what's crazy is my relationship with death is different.
1: Was she behind?
3: She was behind too. I actually got to sit with her and we had a whole conversation about like, it was almost like a train station for me where I was like, oh my God, I'm so sad. I don't want to lose you. But are you a little excited about where you're going? And we had this awesome, super intense conversation that was like, man, maybe, I don't know, what is it? Who You know? So that is either to anyone listening, that's either like a ridiculous, silly conversation between two people that are trying to make themselves feel better. Totally fair. Possible. Or a really, really sweet spiritual conversation between a mother and a son. I I love these conversations. These are my favorite.
1: I hope it was the latter. Yes. Honestly, despite (laughs) the fact that I'm a Scosche cynical. But I know that you do something, you keep your mom's spirit alive with something called Kathy Grahams.
3: That's what I did as a way to work through my grief. I don't do it as much anymore, but right when she passed away, I would at any of my shows be like, if you're going through something, if you are having struggles or troubles, as a way to... Get through this, I will write you a Kathy Graham, which is like a short, teeny little song, and I'll, I'll send it over YouTube to you. It was kind of wild because, you know, you're just having a normal day, and then you get this email that says, I'm going into back surgery for the fourth time, and I'm really stressed out about it. I don't have any arms or legs, and I'm going into back surgery. You said you'd write a song. I was like, oh my God. So then I like get out my guitar and like really fast, we got your back, do you get your back back? Right, it's like send it off.
2: How and many of those do you do? I probably
3: did about... 10 or 20 of them in that period of my life. You're really upset, but then by doing things for others, it is amazing how quickly that makes you feel different, you know? Then you're getting these incredible, beautiful emails back from the family of the girl saying like, oh my God, she's been playing this over and over and over before she goes into surgery. There's a random stranger that now like I'm like kind of family with, you know, my whole musical career is basically trying to do that as much as I can on like a worldwide scale.
1: Meanwhile, you went on Dancing with the Stars in honor of your mom. She loved to dance. (laughs) Yeah, she did. Oh, my God. I watch that show sometimes. And I think. Would you do it? You know, they've asked me to do it a couple of times. First of all, uh, I I don't think I could because it's. Very physically taxing. It's the hardest thing I've ever done. Right? Yeah. And I also think I would forget everything because I yeah. would panic and I would draw a blank once it was my time to dance. Yep. I would just be freaked out. I just don't think I could do it. <laughs> but I admire people who do. Did you have fun doing it?
3: Fun is a, probably not the word.
1: No? Um, who is your partner?
3: Well, fun. I it, what, should it's know definitely this. fun, but what you're talking about, her name is Allison Holker. She was awesome. It was the most stress that I think I've had in my whole career. Like,
1: why would I invite Literally, that into my life? While I
3: was doing it, they want they asked me to go sing the national anthem at the Game 1 of the World Series. Oh which my- is supposed to be a stressful thing. Yeah. And I was like, fine. That's great. Get me out
1: of here. Like,
3: help me stop doing the cha-cha. I would love to go do that. But it was really, really good. And it was really sweet to do it f- for her. Because she loved to watch dance. She was like a big fan of dance. Aww. So to get to every night, go just like get quiet before I went out and did something ridiculous like dance for her.
1: And did you get very far in the process?
3: Yeah, I made like eight shows. Wow. That's kind of a lot. That's
1: good. But no mirror ball for you. No
3: mirror ball. I did not (laughs) deserve the mirror ball. It's okay. Justice was served.
1: (laughs) Next, we're going to talk to Andy and hear an incredible story about how he keeps his mom's memory alive for his little girl. Ooh, 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 that's what she said So you have a little girl ooh. named Louisiana who you yes. call Lou, yeah? Yeah, we call her Louie. Louie, Louie, Louie. How old is she? And I know that you actually try to keep your mom and your little girl connected as well.
3: Yeah, so um, she is going to be two this weekend. So as soon as I'm done with this big record release, I'm going to fly home and we've booked a bubble guy for her second birthday party. It's going to be freaking awesome. And uh, yeah, she's she's my favorite. You know, one of the songs on this, this new record it comes with a pretty wacky story. So I'm just going to share it. Okay? Share it. So I get this call. My wife goes, um, I got, I'm, I got you a phone call with this guy named Daniel Brinkley. I don't know if you've heard of him. Struck by lightning, was dead for 28 minutes and then wrote a book about his near death experience. So like what he said happened when he passed away. Okay. I don't know exactly what to do with that information, but sure. My wife gets me a phone call and she says like, you should call him. I'm like, all right, I'll call him. I'm like, 50%, that's ridiculous, 50%, like, I lost my mom. If he says he can talk to people, like, maybe, whatever. So I call the guy, and I'm like, kind of skeptically on the phone. And he goes like, all right, your mom's here. Her name's Kathy, right? I'm like, yeah. Still kind of like, whatever. What are we doing here? What are we doing? Yeah. And he goes, she's saying very specifically that she wants you to write a song to your daughter about everything that she would say to your daughter, because she can't be there to say it. And I was like, honestly, man, that's just a great idea. I don't even know. <laughs> I don't know what's going on here, but I've written like way worse songs on way less good ideas. So I will definitely do that. So I write the song. And, and it's called? It's called She'd Say. And my mom is a huge Paul Simon fan. She loved the Graceland record uh-huh. where um, he went to South Africa and right? he used Ladysmith Black Mombazo. And it's like diamonds on the soles of her shoes. You can call me Al. These are all like amazing songs. And this is one of her favorite albums. So I write the song. I get in the car the next day after I've written the song. On the radio, it says, Lady Smith Black Mombazo is going to be in Los Angeles. And at that point now, I'm like, this is so weird. Now I'm like mentally, like internally just weirded out by this phone call. The fact that one of my mom's favorite groups is going to be here. And so I chase him down. And I'm like, I think I just got to follow this all the way to the weird end that it is. And they agreed. And we have this insane song called... They
1: agreed to sing it with you? Yeah. So
3: it's this wild song called She'd Say... Uh, featuring Ladysmith, Black Mambazo. And when you hear, like, the African singers, it gets so insane. And then it's me singing to my daughter all of the uh, principles and truths that my mom would have sang to her.
4: You never got to meet your grandma, did you? Every night I got you kissing on her picture. Curse me up that you will never listen To the sweet,
3: sweet sound of a voice I've had so many weird experiences like that That I just live in like a weird magical lane And I don't know what to do about it I don't necessarily, it's like I don't say it's true or not true I just like, this is my life
1: Did you tell the singers, the group That you had had this experience? what
3: I blew up a huge photo of my mother And we put it in the studio And they came in And I told them all this insane story And they quickly started writing in Zulu, the words, what she'd say, and I love my mother, and I miss my mother. So it's like they're singing, n-k. It's like wild. It's one of the most incredible experiences. So my daughter is going to have this song that whatever, maybe my mom wanted her to hear, which is really sweet. She'd say,
1: What other weird experiences have you had, if you just had to name one more, because I'm fascinated by this?
3: I had this experience that actually got picked up on the news uh, up in Boston, where I'm playing a show in Boston, and I'm sitting at early brunch by myself before we go play the show. And these six like elderly ladies come in and sit down in the corner, and they were making me think of my mom. And I'm like, oh, man, I should pick up their lunch. But then sometimes you have to worry about doing that, because then you look like you're trying to be a big shot or whatever. Yeah. So I'm like, ah, oh, never mind. I just like, keep like eating my breakfast and then i have this thing inside and it's like you should probably go pick up their lunch i was like no i'm having this internal conversation with myself now like now i'm feeling crazy cuz it's like so intensely saying like go pay for their lunch I'm like um well, fine so i get up i go over to them and i go hello ladies you all seem very very sweet i don't want to be weird at all i just like i lost my mom you're making me think of you all and it would mean the world to me if i could just pick up your lunch this lady starts crying and she stands up and she goes I just lost my son who's your age. And like, we, I'm like, no, I'm hugging this lady. So stuff like this happens to me and I don't know what to do with it. And we took this photo and I wrote it out and it became like a, a viral thing up in Boston. And then the news came and like took photos of us together, <laughs> like this sweet little moment that occurred. I just think there's like way more going on here than we all think there is. I don't try to say I know what it is, but there is like a sweet interplay of stuff occurring. That I'm not necessarily scared of, but it's like, it's insane.
1: Do you think you're operating on a different spiritual register because of your faith and because of Baha'i? And what is Baha'i exactly?
3: So the Baha'i faith is a world religion very simply based on the unity of religions. The idea is that there's just one God and that God has come down in succession throughout all of time. So Judaism, Christianity, Islam, Buddhism, all these are like different accents of God.
1: And so that's great because there's so much strife and conflict that comes from religion. It was
3: a wonderful way to grow up because everywhere that you'd meet someone new, you'd be like, same team, right?
1: But it's obviously been very important to you and to your life.
3: Yeah, I mean, so there's like a lot of principles that if you're raised this way, can't help but affect how you see the world. So this idea that pain or struggle is something that is for you to grow from, that is a huge deal because when bad things happen to you, it's not just like, oh, me again. Life sucks. It's like, ooh, what am I supposed to be like learning from this? How am I going to grow from this? What am I going to take from this experience?
1: You did an incredible video about a woman who was dying of breast cancer with her little boy.
3: That was with Justin Baldoni's show, right? Yeah, he has this show called My Last Days. Justin Baldoni, he's on Jane the Virgin. He's Raphael from Jane the Virgin. He's also maybe one of my best friends in the world. So he started doing this show called My Last Days, where when someone's terminally ill, a friend of theirs will nominate them to be on the show. And Justin's crew goes in and then they interview them about what's important to them. What are you thinking before this thing happens? And it's really powerful.
1: I'm sure it's incredibly powerful. Is it sad? Is it uplifting? And You've probably watched a lot of these. Is there a common theme that people talk about or feel or regret in their last days?
3: Yeah, I think that it just like really centers what's important while you're here. What are we doing here? These are my favorite questions to ask. And the show... Gets into way more about how you treat people, loved ones, being around your family. Again, back to being of service. How are you actually being of service to other people? And so, this show, it was uh, a lady named Ellie who was passing away, and her son was uh, a big fan of mine. So, I wrote him a song to sing to her when he missed her.
1: When she, yeah, which is brutal. No I mean, even there. talking
3: about it makes you want to cry. So intense.
1: Yeah. And Ellie passed away. And then
3: she passed away. Yeah. But again, all context of how you feel about that, right? So if you believe that they are going somewhere else and that one of the ways you can keep in touch with them is to do good deeds in their name, there can be a sweetness around it that I really, I think there is.
1: I know that you're a really good beatboxer.
3: I mean, in the land of beatboxers, I am not, but I know how to beatbox. You do? I can teach you how to beatbox. All right, go ahead. You're basically just mimicking a drum set. So give me the kick is going to be like a PFF, like, sure. Then... Uh, the hi hat. No, that, that was no. I want to do good. that again. That no, Go.
1: do it again. Like, what?
3: <laughs> like, give me a little more bottom. Like, pffff. That's good. That's fine. Then the hi hat's like a tis. Like, yep. And then like a like a ka. For I'm the spitting snare. on the vine You're doing great. No. Then like a ka for the snare. Like, yeah. So give me like a. You're a full-on beatboxer right now. Yeah. <laughs> Sounding absolutely fantastic. Yes. Yeah. Now you're off and running. Okay, We're do good. it
1: for me. Do it fast cause so I, was I was really like, P- P- hear it. <laughs> I'm
3: sitting
4: here with Katie. <laughs> We're having a good old time singing about
3: positivity, and I don't know how to. I mean, I can't freestyle. And death. And death. <laughs> Stick around. I promise it's not as depressing as it sounds. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> All right. Fantastic.
1: You're so talented. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, I love that. Do you ever feel like you just want to turn your whole image on its head and be, like, a jerk and dark and moody and, like, steal a kid's ice cream cone? <laughs>
3: <laughs> like, everybody has evil thoughts, but not in general I, I'm down to like let kids keep their ice cream coats common misconception about me is that like I'm like happy and I'm no, like no no, no I no. love to go deep this is my favorite you I said loved you said that someone passed away and I was like oh man I actually have a overly like I love to talk about death partly because my mom passed away it's like so fascinating to me yeah. something that I spend a lot of time thinking about so well, it was wonderful
1: it was really nice yes. to A. meet you yes. and B. talk to you, you are, C. have you, are you on a dream. our podcast
3: yes and we're gonna write the song
1: If I only knew. If
3: I only knew. That's good. That's what should come out of this.
1: Before we go, you want to give me a beatbox bed? (coughs) Thanks for joining us. I'm Katie Couric, and I'm looking forward to tackling your (coughs) next question. (coughs) And if you haven't already, subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeart app, or wherever you listen. And by the way, if you're overwhelmed by the tsunami of information coming at you from your phone every single day, check out my morning newsletter, Wake Up Call. Go to katiecouric.com to subscribe. And of course, follow me on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube.
3: Next question with Katie Currick is a production of iHeartRadio and Katie Currick Media. The executive producers are Katie Couric, Lauren Bright-Pacheco, Julie Douglas, and Tyler Klang. Our show producers are Beth Ann
0: Macaluso and Courtney Litz. The supervising producer is Dylan Fagan. Associate producers are Emily Pinto and Derek Clements. Editing is by Dylan Fagan, Derek Clements,
3: and Lowell Berlanti. Our researcher is Barbara Keene. For more information on today's episode, go to katiecouric.com and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at katiecouric.